0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by AAA. AAA Roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th
2: pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
0: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we're getting close now to our first Power Five action. We had you know a handful of games that we talked about earlier this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast with Ben Fennel, with Dane Brugler here on the show. That was earlier this week. Well. Now we've got some Power 5 opponents, the Big 12 taking the field uh, for the first time, the ACC taking the field for the first time, here this Saturday. Cannot wait for some of these games. And now, like I said uh, earlier, and obviously this is the second episode this week, we are going to be twice weekly here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. So here today, here's what you're going to expect. We're going to kick things off with Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell and I are going to kind of preview the weekend, matchups to watch, and we've got a a little bit of a new segment here that we're going to do inside Saturday Scouting, and it's called... Under the Hood, where we are going to kind of focus in on a a position every single week, talk about the things that we like. Who are the players in the NFL that best exemplify those traits and fit into that role? We'll talk about that. We'll look at some mock drafts as well in our mock draft roundup, so that segment returns as well. So we're going to do all of that in Saturday Scouting. After that... I've got a pair of guests. This week for Mr. Relevant, we've got the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. That's former NFL scout Jim Nagy. Jim, a longtime guest on this show, has been on a handful of times. He is back. We're going to talk about what the Senior Bowl looks like this year, what it could look like uh, here in January, and then also some of the top prospects around the country at a handful of positions. And then we are going to pick six, and, and this is going to be a lot of fun, where uh, Ross Tucker and I, Ross Tucker, uh, long-time friend, long-time, he's been on the show a handful of times and also helps us out with uh, Eagles Draft Central as a co-host. He's the color commentator for Eagles preseason broadcast. He's going to be on the show every week. And he and I are going to just have a, a handful of picks every week where it's not just picking games, but we're looking at uh, you know, just different things, a little bit, little bit of a spin, uh, some different games we'll play each and every week. I don't want to like box us into, into one game or not, but it's going to be a lot of fun, so we'll do that at the end of every show late in the week. That's going to be our pick six. We're going to keep score over the course of the season. We'll see uh, who picks things the best between Ross and I uh, as the season progresses. Like I said, Journey to the Draft podcast. We are here twice a week, and if you are excited by that, the best way to throw us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. You know, we always answer your questions here in our draft mailbag. So, uh, if you haven't yet, please go on. Leave us a question, leave us a comment. If you've got mock drafts, players you want to hear more about, that is your opportunity to be heard here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. That being said, let's jump into the top here. It's time now for Saturday scouting. <laughs>
0: it's time for Saturday scouting
1: all right so let's get into our next edition of Saturday scouting as we welcome back in uh, Ben Fennel Ben uh, this is gonna be a fun conversation man a little bit different we basically what we did for our longtime listeners is uh, obviously last year we were once a week and Saturday scouting was split in half where we would recap what we did uh, where we saw in the previous weekend and we would preview what's going to come up in the next weekend so we're gonna take pieces of that split them up into both episodes and uh here for this one we are going to look ahead to this weekend and I guess before that uh some big college football news with Oregon a couple of players that have opted out uh for the 2020 season both of the senior corners uh and Thomas Graham and the Lenore we'll talk about them with Dane next week because I don't know if we talked too much about those guys in our Pac-12 preview we did talk about Penny Sewell a lot and obviously one of the best overall players uh in this draft not super. I don't think there's a ton to talk about uh, Ben when talking about Penny Sewell opting out and officially declaring for 2021. But just a a big uh, you know a big hat to fall, I guess. A huge decision with Sewell officially declaring for this draft.
3: Yeah, really looking like a prodigy at the tackle position, checking a lot of the boxes you'd like for that NFL pedigree to hold down that blind spot in the NFL. He's shown a lot on tape, especially in 2019, one of the best tackle prospects we've probably ever studied. Not sure what else he really need to improve on. You know, he put a lot on tape and has all the tools, all the parts, and you just want him to stay healthy and kind of work on that transition to the next level. I thought he showed plenty uh, last year.
1: Yeah, again, I don't think there's a lot. It's kind of like when we talked about Jamar Chase earlier this week with Dane. It's There's not a ton to talk about with Penny Sewell. I mean, he's just a really, really impressive player. Uh, excited to see him at the next level. All you right. know, the one
3: thing, Fran, I saw him once last year against Arizona. That's right, yep. And he was actually punished the opening driver to for being late to a meeting. So that's like one of my negatives in there is just, you know, clean up the off field stuff, be a more model student on campus, be a leader in the locker room that's on the field and off the field as well. So, you know, he, he checks a lot of the boxes on the field, but, you know, the maturity stuff off the field, just want to make sure he's uh, handling all his business. And
1: that, and that is obviously very, very important. Um, all right, let's get to this weekend, man. We got uh, the Big 12 taking the field. We've got the ACC taking the field. Excited to uh, really get s- some more football uh, here on our TV sets. I'm going to be watching a ton of football on Saturday. Really, really excited for a lot of these matchups. Each week, you and I will pick two individual matchups that we just are excited to see. We're not going to pretend that we're watching every single down of every single game, um, but just two ex- two uh, matchups that you know have NFL draft implications or are going to be interesting that we're excited to go back and study uh, at a later date. I'll let you kick things off here. What's the one matchup uh, you are most excited to watch here this weekend?
3: Yeah, a lot of really good matchups here, and we typically get some uh, interconference. Is that the right word? Interconference, yeah, one yeah. conference versus another conference. But now we have some of these divisional games already early in the season. So it's really fun to see. But I'm looking at Notre Dame against Duke. A lot of interesting talent, both sides of the ball for both of these teams. I think Duke has a number of interesting prospects, particularly on defense so corner Mark Gilbert, a couple of guys on that defensive line. But I'm looking at Liam Eckenberg, left tackle, Notre Dame, didn't give up a sack last year against the speedy Duke outside linebacker Chris Rumpf more of the pass rush specialist, but extremely undersized. So I just want to see him stay on the field a little bit more, maybe added about 5, 10 pounds in his off-season program. Just want to see how he holds up on early downs. And Liam Eckenberg is right on the fringe of the first round for me. Wow. And I think some dominant performances with against some high-level pass rushers can really work his you know, name and his stock into that middle of the first round with Walker Little and Samuel Cosme. Any one of those can have a dominant year and really mm. kind of emerge from the pack.
1: Yeah, you were really high on Eckenberg. I remember when we did our uh, non-Power 5 preview. Obviously, that was before it was announced that Notre Dame was going to be a, a part of the ACC this year. But uh, a big matchup for sure. And I, I have studied Rump. We talked about him in our ACC preview about just the unique way that he's been used. I mean, so many of his reps come standing up and kind of as a joker, uh, not just off the edge, but – You know, rushing against guards, rushing against centers, used on stunts and twists and different blitz packages. Uh, An interesting player to study. I I agree with you. I'm interested to see what his role looks like this year, especially against a big-time prospect in Eckenberg.
3: You know, last year he weighed in about 6'3", 225. Yeah. He could get to that 235 range. You know who also came out at 6'2", 235? Our buddy Trent Cole. Hmm. Similar loose type of athlete on the edge there with a really good motor. I could see that type of projection. Yeah,
1: no question. Uh, let's go to mine, and, and it's going to be one of the bi- the big games of the weekend. Uh, it's a divisional game. College game day is going to be there. Wake Forest, Clemson, uh, Wake Forest. They've got a great prospect on the defensive side of the ball in Carlos Boogie Basham. Um, this is a big kid, powerful kid. Uh, has the ability, he's got a high motor. Uh, to me, like it's a matter of like what is his overall athletic upside, um, but. His game wins in the NFL. You know, I think we talked uh, when we did our ACC preview, Ben, and you and I have talked offline about this too. Like, can he be a Zadarius Smith? Like, can he be that level of player? I mean, I think that's kind of the style uh, with Boogie Basham. A big kid, strong, powerful, uh, can be a three-down presence. Maybe not a double-digit sack guy year after year after year, but you know you're going to get consistent play from and certainly can play against the run. Clemson, they've got one returning starter. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show too. One returning starter on that offensive line, and it's the left tackle, Jackson Carmen, who's going into his junior year, uh, has been a two year starter in first two, his first two years on campus. I think it's kind of the same, some questions with Jackson Carmen. You know, what, what is his level of athleticism? Does he have that ability to hold up against you know explosive speed off the corner? Uh, and obviously, you know, Chase Young gave everybody fits, but I thought Chase Young really kind of gave it to Jackson Carmen. Uh, and look, Boogie Basham is not that explosive edge rusher, but that's why I think this will be a really fun battle to be able to study. But Basham kind of comes off both edges, so it's not like rep after rep. He's going to be matched up against Carmen when those guys do see those one-on-one battles. That'll be a
3: fun one to go back and study. You know, Fran, I see Boogie Basham kind of right between is he Shaq Lawson or can he be Bradley Chubb? Right, yep. And it's that style of heavy edge rusher, more of a power rusher, and he has a lot of traits that Rashawn Gary had with his explosiveness, the linear first step, his ability to chase things from the backside. With a dominant 2020, this guy could be a bona fide front half of the first round.
1: No, oh, no question. Who's your? Uh, what's your second matchup here?
3: I go a little off the grid here. We all know uh, this ACC matchup: Georgia Tech, Florida State, new regime at Florida State. Mike Norvell, really excited to watch that offense. But on the defensive side, a lot of intriguing players: Asante Samuel Jr. First and foremost, experienced player, son of Asante Samuel. Really want to see him build on a pretty uh, solid 2019. He's going to be going against an interesting receiver in Jalen Camp at a Georgia Tech. This kid's got really good size. He's a really good prospect. He's about 6'3", 225. You've probably seen his name recently on the freak list. Put up 30 reps at 225, 440, 40. Really impressive size, speed, strength. The only issue is, He hasn't been able to get on the field at Georgia Tech, was injured last year, had a couple injuries earlier in his career, really only, I think, 10 or 20 catches in his career, but a lot of upside. He could be a size-speed problem, and a guy like Asante Samuel, who's 5'10", 184, maybe a little bit more of the smaller, speedier corner, could struggle with a guy like Camp. So I think that's a really interesting matchup that's kind of a, uh, a meeting of converging styles.
1: Yeah, he has the ability to be a big play guy you know, at that size, an intriguing player. You talked about the injuries uh, have certainly hampered him, but um, certainly an intriguing physical talent. I did Asante Samuel Jr. Um, back in the summer. We didn't really talk about him too much in our ACC preview, and, and he's very similar to his dad in the way he plays, right? I mean, he is uh, trying to sniff things out. He's a, a play, rec- uh, play recognition master, uh, playing from off coverage, zone coverage, reading routes, jumping throws. Finishing at the catch point, sticky in man coverage. like That's his game. A um, little bit undersized at 5'10", 184. You know, can he play on the outside? That's going to be the question. Um, he's he's going to get attacked on those big boy throws, those fades over the top. Um, you know, I'd like to see him get a little bit better in the run game as well. But, uh, look, this, uh, he's got the ability to make plays on the ball. Only one interception in his career, though, entering 2019. So this has the ability – look, he's only a junior, you know, going into his junior year, so he's got that ability to make that next big step here. But uh, making plays on the ball will be big for Asante Samuel Jr. I, I like that uh, that matchup, certainly, to watch uh, in that Florida State-Georgia Tech game. Last one, and I'll, I'll stick with another, uh, you know, defensive end, offensive line matchup here. Western Kentucky's D'Angelo Malone, reigning Conference USA defensive player of the year, going up against Louisville – a player we talked about was the uh, the offensive tackle Trevor Reed. Who is the, he's going into his first year on campus there with the Cardinal. Dane brought him up uh, as the newcomer to watch uh, for the Big 12 this year. And when you're looking at Trevor Reed, he was highlighted in that freak list as well for what he can do uh, from a physical standpoint. Interesting test here against Malone. Now, here's the thing with Malone, man. I just studied him this week, really did like a very thorough study, watched like three or four games against Power 5 teams in the last couple of years, and then also watched all of his sacks from a year ago. What they do is they line him up off the weak side, away from the tight end more often than not, away from the tight end, and understanding, like, okay, if, if he's going to be on the man side of the protection, basically he they just gave him carte blanche, like, don't worry about, oh, you have to stay in the C-gap in the run game. You've got a two-way go. And his best pass rush move by far was – He's going to come off the ball, he's going to throw a little shimmy at you and then he's going to either throw an inside swim move, he's going to you know just kind of run the turn the corner on you. He's got he's like a race car turn the corner, he can accelerate. He wins with his athleticism. He's got a couple of tools in his toolbox but he's not a power player. He's not going to collapse the pocket uh, on a consistent basis at the point of attack on run plays. um, He wasn't as big of a factor as you would like to see from a guy that you would hope to be an every-down player at the next level. But from a physical trait standpoint in terms of his athleticism, his quickness, change of direction, his flexibility, all of that is there with D'Angelo Malone. I think his sack last year against Louisville was kind of a a pursuit play where he actually fell down on the play. He was on the ground and then was able to chase the quarterback down uh, from the backside, which counts for sure. But I'm interested to see what he looks like uh, in this game. Makai Becton really gave him fits last year. Uh, will Trevor Reed do the same? That, that's going to be what I'm looking for in that matchup.
3: And just to paint the full picture, he's 6'4, 230. Yep. Tall, long, lean, really the group of five version of Hamilton Rashid at Oregon State. Hmm. also a kind of chase from the backside guy guy that doesn't win holding this point of attack but more of a slasher and a darter getting around blockers and shooting gaps and anticipating action behind the line of scrimmage and that shows up in their tfl totals not dominant players at the point of attack against the run but guys that are really quick to dart and get into the backfield similar type of conversation with, like, you know, Josh Allen coming out of Kentucky Mm -hmm. a few years ago, similar type of prospects, similar type of issues, Uh, but we'll be really interested to see him battle Trevor Reed and Fran, it was painful to not go with Andre Sisco against the high-flying vertical offense in North Carolina this weekend with Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Sam Howell. You know Sisko's going to have an opportunity to make a couple plays on the ball out there, especially down the field, kind of a risk-reward safety. We've both studied him, fun player. He was my kind of C choice for a matchup.
1: Well, good news for our listeners. I'm not even going to comment on that because I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later in the show, that exact matchup uh, with Ross Tucker in our pick six segment. So, and that's how you uh, tease gonna, a segment right there. That's right. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> all right. So the next part of our conversation, we're going to do our mock draft roundup. We're, we're just going to pick a mock draft that's out there recently. Um, you know, Look at who they have the Eagles selecting, who else is going in that range. Uh, this week we're going to pick a, a, a mock draft from a friend of the show, and that's Ben Solak uh, with the draft network. He has the Eagles picking 24th overall. Here are the five picks going up before the Eagles. 19th overall, Minnesota Vikings taking Ohio State cornerback Sean Wade. That kind of makes sense when you look at Mike Zimmer and his uh, background with the cornerback position. 20th overall, he's got the Green Bay Packers selecting Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. 21st overall, the Pittsburgh Steelers selecting Texas tackle Sam Cosme. You mentioned him earlier, Ben. Uh, 22, the Bills selecting Miami defensive end, Quincy Rocher, and then twenty three, the Colts mentioning uh, are picking Oregon State defensive end Hamaka Rashid Jr. You just mentioned him, Ben. What was your takeaway from uh, those first five picks there, Ben?
3: Uh, Interesting group, you know. I think the Packers going after a first round receiver has been kind of wanted for a couple years now. Samuel, they don't go. They
1: typically don't go size though, right? Or they typically don't go with the undersized guys. Didn't don't they prioritize like? You know, a bigger, strong. You, know, you look at the, a lot of the guys that they've taken, especially uh, in this you know regime with Brian Gutekunst, it seems like they prioritize bigger, stronger
3: guys at that position. That just means they're looking for the compliment now, you know, yeah, and, and maybe. that they're due for that speedy guy, maybe. whether it's Devontae Smith or Rondell Moore or somebody in there that's a playmaker for the offense. Hmm. Samuel Cosme right in that middle, uh, back in the first round, I think is about right. Yep. Quincy Roche, round, exciting player. Excited to see him down at Miami in 2020. And then uh, Cover She Jr., really interesting. The Colts need to get more athletic and younger at the edge position. Right now they have Justin Houston out there, a couple interesting young guys like Ben Bagano and uh, Alcoin and Muhammad from Miami. But they need to get younger. They need to get more athletic. And aside from that, the Colts have a pretty nice-looking defense. They could just mm. use a more athletic kind of pass rusher on the edge there.
1: I agree with him. I think that's the, the highest I've seen Quincy uh, Roche in, in, a, in a mock draft, 23 overall, which was uh, great. To see. I, I liked him on film last year uh, at Temple, so uh, I am not going to argue with that selection. So uh, we talked about the five leading up to the Eagles. Let's talk about the five afterwards. New York Jets at 25, selecting uh, Michigan defensive end Quiddie Pay, Pei. Uh, 26, the Dallas Cowboys selecting Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. 27th overall, uh, the New England Patriots t- selecting LSU nose tackle Tyler Shelvin. We talked about him earlier this week with Dane Brugler. 28th overall, the New Orleans Saints taking USC defensive tackle J2 Fele. Uh, we've talked about him a number of times here on the podcast, Ben. And then 29th overall, the San Francisco 49ers taking offensive lineman. Alabama, uh, Alabama great Alex Leatherwood, who we'll talk about a little bit later, actually, in our next segment with
3: Jim Nagy. Let me take a step back here for a second, Fran. And just yeah. talk about this area of the first round. Do you feel like the trend over the past couple of years that this area of the first round has become the safer pick selections
0: mm-hmm. rather
3: than that back end first round? And I think we used to see more kind of gambles and risk and injury guys I just see a lot more trench players into your offensive linemen into your defensive line. It just seems like this is the area for that safe player in the draft. Well, you always talk about the idea
1: of trading up for uh, your quarterback or a running back there too, as well, because you know, you've know you got that fifth year, um, that fifth year option that certainly comes into play uh, later on in a player's career. So, um, you know, we've seen a, a handful of players go in that range from those two positions, you know, certainly Baltimore taking advantage of that and trading back up for Lamar Jackson a few years ago. And that was after uh, they, they had selected Hayden Hurst in the in the mid-20s, late-20s. So, um, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, that area of the draft, it, it is very interesting to see what teams, you know, kind of strategize there. At the end of the day, I don't think they go in saying, all right, we're just going to take safe. But I feel like that might just be how the board goes, right? Because you're going to get those blue – the blue-chip guys typically are not going to be there uh, at that point. And so now it's a matter of like, all right, what, what, what does the board show us? And that might be one of the themes that we've seen. But it seems like just even with that group – <laughs> right like Kyle Pitts, J2 Fele like they're more like athletic pure upside guys, and I think you would say the same maybe say the same thing about Shelvin like what he could be just because of just how physically dominant uh, he can be with his strength and his power. Um, I think with Quidi pay and, and leatherwood you're're you're talking about traits and maybe not quite finished products, but still kind of like high floor guys because of what they bring off the field. I don't know how you view uh, those five in in terms of that vein.
3: Yeah, I think the high floor kind of uh, caveat with a lot of these guys. Yeah. That, that's gonna, what I mean kind of by the safer pick in that their floor is a much safer projection and that mm-hmm. they all have upside, obviously. They're all young, especially guys like Shelvin that really have been on the field a whole lot. Yep. Uh, but trench player, nose tackle, Tufele as well. Leatherwood's probably the more experienced of this group here. So that's a really good pick for the Niners.
1: All right, let's get into the Eagles selection. At 24th overall, Tennessee offensive lineman Trey Smith. And I'm just going to read the blurb here from Ben Solak. This is from that mock draft article. Um, So let me read that real quick. The Eagles offensive line went from impressively deep to threadbare thin across the course of the offseason, losing pro bowler Brandon Brooks and 2019 first rounder Andre Dillard at right guard and left tackle respectively. The Eagles will have to start rookie Jack Driscoll if they get an injury pretty much anywhere on the line and while they've installed depth offensive linemen with midseason success before their offensive line has never started the season shakier. There may be a couple of problems the Eagles need to solve on their offensive line then. Uh, Brooks will try and come, uh, Brooks will try coming back from a second Achilles tear next year. Dillard has received bad, bad reviews in his first two camps. Jason Kelsey could retire or any season we know they value trench guys and they love tackle size on the interior so trey smith makes sense for all their potential problems he could back up brooks fight for the left tackle job or take the left guard job from isaac sayamala who would then kick in the center if kelsey were to retire Uh, i'm kind of adding that part in there his finishing ability and displacement power will appeal to the eagles double heavy approach ben what are your thoughts on trey smith to the eagles and do you like that value there on the back end of round one
3: Love the value. Love addressing the trenches, especially that back end of round one. You cannot neglect the motor oil of the offense, and that's the the big guys up front. We get so excited to add all these playmakers and quarterbacks and pass catchers, but you got to keep addressing the foundation and keep adding and you know uh, and building and uh, you know taking on that caulk on the on the the uh, the basement pillars. That's right. And I just kind of uh, you know wonder if Trey Smith is in camp this summer. Is he in conversation to play left tackle, and that's a you know the versatility I think he's going to bring to an offensive liner. I'm a guy that's starting the SEC at left tackle, right guard, left guard, all up and down the offensive line. So, his versatility I don't think is uh talked about nearly enough. I know he looks like a bona fide guard there, you know, at 6'5, 335. That's a pretty you know, uh, you know, prototypical size to be sure. on the inside there, but he's a guy that's. Held his own out on the outside there. He's a mauler. He's got a nasty punch. He's a guy that's really tough and competitive. We've seen guys like this, Trey Turner, Coletio Semele, Gabe Jackson, Be veterans in the NFL. I think any offensive line group would love to have Trey Smith in the room.
1: Yeah, he was my you know number one senior on offense from the SEC during our preview episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, I love Trey Smith on film. I, I mentioned I love the Kalecki Assembly comparison. Uh, I've mentioned he kind of does remind me of Brandon Brooks uh, here in Philadelphia. I don't know that he's quite the athlete at like the second level that Brooks is, but uh, he is just so powerful and just plays with that demeanor that you're looking for, and he has everything off the field uh, that you would like as well. Great, great kid. Uh, great ambassador for that university, and we'll do the same uh, for whatever uh, team he ends up on in the nfl so uh yeah i I love the trey smith value uh there late in round one um all right let's go to our next segment here inside saturday scouting and and that is under the hood which is going to be a new little uh segment we're doing this year ben i know something you're excited about we're basically we're going to pick one position and we're going to just kind of talk about three factors or traits that matter most to us when we are evaluating it. and i thought this week we would just talk about the nickel corner Um, You know, obviously it's, I think we're past the point now of saying, oh, this is, this is basically a starter in the NFL because we, I think everybody knows how important the nickel corner spot is. Um, I'd love to just get from you. What are three traits that you really value when you're talking about uh, the nickel corner spot and how those players have success in the NFL?
3: Yeah, really interesting position to evaluate considering how much it's evolved and was really kind of created in the last, you know, 10, 20, 25 years in the NFL, Uh, You know, it used to be that smaller corner that want to go and match up against that third receiver. But those slot receivers aren't Wes Welker and Brandon Stokely and Wayne Kerbets anymore. Now they're bigger receivers or maybe move tight ends. And it's a lot of variety and a lot of hybrid aspects to that position, which means the defender needs to be very hybrid and versatile. And I think that's what we've seen from that nickel position. And just to throw some traits out here. First one is short area quickness. Yep. And in so many in so many phases the read and reactability, the drive and plant ability to mirror slot receivers. Everything happens so much faster. It's it's a city game out there. When you're a corner, that's playing out in the suburbs. You have space, you have yards, you have backyards and parks and open field tackling. When you're out there in the nickel, you're a box player for the most part. You're just off the edge there, maybe incorporate to the box. You got to be able to play in short area bursts, be tough, and it's really like a city game. I like comparing that city and the uh, the suburbs there. Yep. The first, the second thing would be tackling. You have to be able to tackle. No question. Every phase between the tackles. Out on the perimeter, in the alley, to the sidelines, open field tackling, as well as phone booth tackling. You can't be afraid to stick your nose in there, especially when those spaces get tight. And the other thing that kind of just bleeds off of that is just the toughness. You have to wear a lot of different hats there. Easily, you could be a nickel defender, the offense shifts, and all of a sudden, you're a run fit now. You're, you have to take on a pulling guard, and there's no crying foul. There's no Timeouts halfway through the play, you have to be tough and handle your assignment. And some of those assignments aren't fun. Hmm. You have to watch guys like Barry Church get run over by a Quentin Nelson out there in the alley. But that's kind of the hat you have to wear. And you have to do a lot of different things there and take on a variety of different bodies. And I think that position alludes to having a deep skill set because of all the things you're asked to do. So to
1: me, like if I look at the three traits that mattered most to me, a lot of overlap there, which is good. And that's kind of I want to have these conversations Um, for me. uh, It's competitiveness and toughness. And and for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, I I really value competitiveness overall at the the cornerback spot, whether you're inside or outside. Um, Because, you you know, you talk about like the short memory and, you know, the, you know, say I want to take on the the best guy across from me. Understanding I'm going to lose some battles, all that stuff. But then also, what you mentioned—you are so close to the action. Um, you know, you've got to—you know—be able to handle yourself in traffic. You've got to be able to not just uh, take on that pulling guard, but also be able to navigate through traffic and, and find the football. And then also. You can't back down from the challenge of, you know, when a number one receiver does slide inside and you're matched up on him, whether it's in man or zone coverage, Um, you can be a run defender, also a blitzer, right? You've got to be able to attack the quarterback as well uh, from that role. So yeah, absolutely value competitiveness and toughness from the nickel corner spot. Uh, You talked about short area quickness. Absolutely. And I'll prioritize that over long speed, long speed, more important on the outside if I'm given that you still want the long speed on the inside as well, uh, especially you handle uh, some of those vertical slots, you know, guys that can attack down the field from a number two or number three position. Um, but you still would prioritize that short area quickness. And to me, that's why when you're looking at guys that play on the outside that maybe don't have uh, that, that long speed and don't have that great length, but they're quick and they can get in and out of cuts fast. You could project them to the slot, but that brings me to my third trade. And, and to me, to watching slot corners, experience inside matters to me more, maybe more so than any other position that we're talking about. When you're talking about pure project, uh, projection, because too often I feel like we watch these guys on the outside uh, and say, "Oh, well, you know, he's not a great outside corner, but he's never played nickel, but I think he's got the skill set to do it." Those guys, it's kind of rare that they ever work out on the inside. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not, but to me, you. You have to be able to handle a two-way go, and when you're on the outside, you've got the sideline always there to be your help. And sure, you've got your safety, you've got the middle of the field. There's defenders in there, but when you're in, when you're in the in the slot, that receiver can attack you outside. He can attack you inside. He's got the ability to have that two-way go, and just having that that awareness and that comfort level uh, and that you know that willingness to not back down from that challenge. There's a lot to that, and we've seen a lot of talented corners over the years that, you know, oh, they're great on the outside, but we have this embarrassment of riches, and we're going to slide a guy inside, and oh, he's never done it before, but man, he's got the skill set to do it. He's going to do it at a high level that just flame out, and it doesn't work, or it just takes time. To me, like, experience on the inside really, really matters to me.
3: I just think the evolution of the position, it's no longer a catch-all or a default position where... Oh, well, that corner that's a little small and can't run, you're a nickel. Oh, you're an athletic will linebacker, you're a nickel. Oh, you're a safety that can cover, you're a nickel. Maybe an undersized Sam linebacker, you're a nickel. It used to be like a default sub-package position that you would kind of fall into. But now, as we know, sub-package is base in the NFL. That nickel position is coveted. That fifth defensive back is almost always out there. And what happens on Sundays is happening on Saturdays and happening on Fridays and just much more valued position. And we've seen the, you know, the converts in college, whether it's Malcolm Jenkins or Charles Woodson, or, you know, guys converting in the NFL, like Leon Hall, Brandon Flowers, you know, Carlos Rogers, those are guys that have succeeded. But I just love that the NFL is seemingly starting to value those true positions the Rocky sins of the world, the Minka Fitzpatrick's of the world, you know, these first and second round players that are true, big nickels, you know, that third safety, that third corner, whatever you want to call them. Um, I just think, I just love the, the intent to value this position more and I love evaluating the evolution of that position and why that small nickel is no longer out there. We had mentioned that those slot receivers really aren't the same but there are some speedy small slot receivers. So you have to be able to match up with those players as well as the big receivers, as well as the move tight ends. But Fran, why don't we see that small nickel out there anymore? If you're an offensive coordinator and you see that 175-pound nickel out there, what was the issue with it? Is he a liability in the run game? Were you getting attacked on the perimeter by putting a bigger slot receiver over him? That was something that Chip Kelly immediately said about drafting Jordan Matthews was that bigger slot presence, well, that means smaller nickels have to deal with him when he's blocking on the perimeter. And just that mindset of why the small nickel has now evolved into the bigger safety or the third safety on the field and no longer a size liability or a run-fit liability. I just love studying the kind of nature of this position, which seems to be a more evolving than any in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, the, the Eagles are taking on the L.A. Rams in week two, and I'm you know, starting to dig into that a little bit. Terrell Burgess was a second-round pick, and he's kind of, it seems like he's going to be fitting that role. You talk about Von Bell, what he's been in New Orleans. Uh, you know, Desmond King, uh, I would say a little bit more on the undersized role, but he's a safety who plays uh, in the nickel. Demonte Casey, you'd say the same thing in Atlanta. Dan Sorensen, what he does in that Kansas City defense. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who's down there in New Orleans now. Um, you know, you go up and down, and Tyron Matthew, safety, who's play, playing it down to the nickel, a Marcus Joyner, right? I mean, there's so many of those guys that are safeties that are the fifth defensive back. And when you talk about big nickel, regular nickel, um, all these teams, they get a little bit specialized and uh, it's all about just finding the right matchups and being able to you know defend against whatever the offense is going to throw your way. My next question for you, though, in your mind, when you're evaluating nickels from college to the NFL, what separates like the elite from the good? Like what is okay? This guy is a top five nickel in the league. He's a top three nickel in the league. Versus, yeah, you know, he'll be a, he'll be a nice nickel. He'll be a good you know quality starting nickel, but not uh, one of the elites. Is there a trait or a separating factor in your mind that you know really kind of splits that hair for you?
3: Yeah, and you know I kind of think about this as far as the scales of justice, and you have okay. to you have to be able to outweigh with impact plays. And if you're there in that nucleus position, that middle of the field position, you have to make impactful plays, whether that's fumbles, TFLs, getting your hands in the passing lane, interceptions for every impact play you make. I promise it makes up for two or three bad plays. But if you're not making the impact plays, those game changing plays, those, you know, tide turning plays, suddenly those average or, you know, plays you miss become that much more focused. And I think there's a lot of guys like that in the NFL that, you know, they're down to down play. Maybe gets overshadowed a little bit because they show up and they make those big plays on third down or in the fourth quarter. And I love looking at guys in the NFL like this, whether, you know, Chris Harris and Desmond King, Logan Ryan. I love uh, Kaywon Williams for the 49ers last mm-hmm. year, but Tyron Matthew I think is the epitome of this position yep. or that safety project coming out of LSU, but he's playing that nickel most of the time, 80% of the time. And you see the impact plays when he's on the field and he occasionally misses a tackle. He occasionally guesses wrong. He occasionally, you know, goes for the ball instead of the tackle and things like that. But he makes so many impact plays for him. And I think that's what separates that B B plus player into a bona fide a, or, you know, an a plus type of player.
1: I love that. Yeah. A lot of the impact plays you're certainly looking for. And to me, like, Uh, it comes down to opportunity too, right? And that's why for me, it's like, it's not just what are you when we go into sub, but do you do other things for us as well? Are you just our fifth DB? Or when we're in base with four DBs, like are you a starting safety? Are you a strong safety? Are you an outside corner? Um, You know, are you one of our, two or three best defensive backs that we can't take you off the field. We want to leave you out there. And you, you mentioned Tyron Matthew uh, certainly fits that role. I think you look at even with, like, Justin Coleman, right, like, in Detroit. Like, uh, you find those guys, like, who are the guys that, uh, you know, when you're in base, they're, in, they're either at safety or they're an outside corner, and then when you go to nickel, they're going to slide inside. And I, I, to me, like, it also – we've talked about this so much with Darius Slay here in Philadelphia this year, uh, you know, with a guy that's an outside corner that has that ability to slide in that just gives you so much value, so much flexibility, and it gives your uh, play caller on defense more flexibility to disguise coverage and also disguise pressure packages and things of that nature. So, um, so, so important to me, that versatility aspect of the position.
3: It's almost a weird, like, thought. It's kind of like being an NBA defender in that position. Dude, you have to face some wicked offensive talent. You're going to get beat. You're going to give up a catch on third down. You're going to get run over by a pulling guard. But can you make those highlight plays? Can you make the splash plays in there? And it's almost like an NBA. You're going to get scored on. But can you make enough of the impact plays that we kind of forget about those other plays? And, you know, I think on defense, particularly that position, you need a playmaker. And the ones that aren't making the plays, it's really easy to circle and find them and think, hey, we can upgrade this position. We need somebody to make more plays for us. And that's kind of a premier spot on the defense to make those impact plays.
1: Hmm, No question. All right, let's get to uh, the next question I got for you here is who are the players that most fits this in the NFL? And I guess we've already talked about a bunch of them, but is there one guy that I would say, just give me one name that best encapsulates what you're looking for at the nickel corner?
3: Probably be Sean Wade out of Ohio State that played that nickel position quite a bit last year. Love his size, love his toughness. I question a little bit of his turn and run ability. So that kind of makes him an ideal fit to maybe play that slot. Although these big box fades are becoming so popular now and trying to get those nickels to turn and run. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting ones around college football, whether it's Javon Holland out in Oregon or DeMar Hamlin, senior safety, you know, kind of hmm. nickel for pit, or, you know, uh, TCU's got a really good one and Trayvon Morig, a lot of interesting players. I just love that these guys are on the field more often in college and it's not like a, well, you're in no man's land. We got to put you in the corner group of the safety group. I'm telling you, Fran, we're like two or three years away from having a bona fide nickel group at the combine because it's such a valued position.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're right on about that. And to me, like when I look at the college game right now, like one guy who really fits that, too, is Elijah Molden. you know, we and we talked about him when we did the Pac-12 preview that I wrote down like Micah Hyde again, going to the earlier parts of the conversation. He's a safety who comes down and plays in the nickel. And I, and I look at Molden, who's 5'10", 191 pounds. I'm going to bring him up. We're going to have Jim Nagy talk about him, too, in the next segment. Like, Molden spent most of his time on the inside. He's tough. He's competitive. He's instinctive. He can finish. Like, everything you're looking for to be able to come in, play on the interior, uh, and be a really quality, you know, whether you're saying he's going to be a, a quality role player and maybe not a like a high-end, top-end starter, that, that might be fair. Um to me, I kind of wonder, and I, I told you this when we did the Pac-12 preview, I was very close to just putting him with the safety. So I kind of wonder, like, all right, like when you're in base, it going back to my earlier, earlier point, I can't. I don't want to take Elijah Molden off the field and I don't know that he's an outside corner. So I, I kind of look at him and say, all right, I think he's probably a strong safety when we're in base and then we're going to move him down and he's going to play in the nickel, um, you know, when uh, you know, when it's time to go sub. Uh, I, I really like Elijah Molden. I feel like he can really, really fit in that role really well Uh, but it it wouldn't shock me if some teams kind of viewed him as an outside corner too Uh, his dad Alex uh, was corner in the NFL Um, you know he's got those bloodlines but uh, I really like Bolden I really like his projection uh, to play on the inside
3: and the diversity of the position is almost turning into like running backs you can have a 190 pound scat back and a 225 pound bruiser that position has the same thing you can look at you know um Carrie Vincent for LSU at 175 pounds, or Colby Harvell Pell at Oklahoma State, who's 215. And just so many different shapes and sizes at that hybrid position, just really fun to evaluate. could also be really tricky because there's so many different types. Yeah, no question.
1: Dude, this was a this was a fun conversation, man. Excited to have this conversation every week when we talk through, uh, you know, just different positions and what we value most. Uh, hope you guys all enjoyed that as well, Ben. Uh, we will talk to you on Monday uh, with Dane Bruegler talking about the action uh, that we were going to uh, take in this weekend. Enjoy college football uh, on Saturday, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: It's time for Mr. Relevant.
1: Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy. Jim, uh, welcome back to the show, man. Glad to have you back.
2: Yeah, Fran, good. To, good to be back on. It seems like a long time ago that we uh, <laughs> spoke at the combine.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, what is it now? It's been six months, but it feels like six years. Uh, you know, in twenty twenty yeah. time, um, it's been just. Cra- it's been crazy, man. And, and look, the the very first question I'll ask you, um, it's it changes all the time, and it's still obviously an ever evolving situation um, with all these different factors, but. What does the Senior Bowl look like for 2021? I know you guys are going to have a game, but as we sit here today, what is it, it's uh, September 8th, a Tuesday afternoon. What are the things that have to, you know, that we're still kind of waiting on? What are some of the factors uh, that are still at play until a final decision comes on what the game will look like?
2: Yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, fully intending on, on playing a game, Fran. And We hope the week looks as close to normal as possible. Uh, I think the things we're waiting on right now is just to get, you know, final word from, from the league office about the draft calendar um, when they finalize that. And and if we have any, any ability to, to maybe move, move the game back, um, you know, and kind of stay in line with the draft calendar, we would, if we, if we could buy ourselves a little time um, for, for a vaccine or or better testing, we would obviously look into that. Um, So so just some of those questions, you know, and then, and then what, what does our week look like? Do we extend out? um, right now? I'm leaning towards, you know, making a a two week event. So for the guys that that don't play this fall and they want to come down here, obviously to mobile and put their best foot forward, um, allow them to do that, you know, so bring them down here, let them, let them ramp up, kind of have an acclimation period. Um, when they first get to town for three or four days and then, uh, you know, ramp up into the contact and, and, uh, get get a really get a really thorough evaluation from the league and let them spend uh, even an extra week with the teams, which is always beneficial. So um, we're just working through all those different contingencies, and like you said, it, it is changing. Um, you know, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. We're gonna we're gonna do whatever it takes to, you know, for the health of these guys and, and make sure they've got a healthy environment to come down here. Um, but again, I feel like there's a huge opportunity. You know, anytime you have an obstacle in front of you like this, I always feel like there's an opportunity and. And this could be—it uh, could be a really cool year if we could—if we could move this thing uh, to a two-week format.
1: I'm not at my desk at the office, but literally, I have a posted note up next to my computer where it's the word "obstacle" crossed out with "opportunity" underneath, and just what, everything that I'm thinking about. How do I, uh, you know, change what we're doing to try and create some different kind of content, do things a little bit differently to still maintain that? So it was cool for you to say uh, those two words specifically. I think it's going to be really interesting, man, because you talked about uh, when you, you know, no Pac 12 right now, no Big 10 right now as we sit here today. But those guys that didn't play in those, car won't play in those conferences this year. They've got the ability to go down, and if, you know, if you're at the Senior Bowl and you're a corner that maybe has only played on the inside, now you've got the ability to show, oh, yeah, I can play on the outside. Or you know, if you're an offensive lineman that only played guard, hey, now I've got the ability to show a tackle. Maybe I didn't have that chance uh, you know, during this final year that I was planning on doing uh, as a senior. It's going to be a really unique chance uh, for those guys to be able to go down and prove themselves.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I was talking about in terms of the opportunity. Uh, I think because we have an opportunity to, to give these, these players an opportunity to come show themselves in a year where, where things have changed on them. Um, again, they're all working hard. All these guys are, are, are putting in the sweat, and, and they've all worked hard and you know, theoretically have gotten bigger, faster, stronger. Um, and our game might be the only opportunity for these guys to show the NFL teams what that looks like on a football field. Um, You know, physically they'll they'll see them, they'll see the body types of the combine or something like that. But how does that manifest itself, you know, when you've got shoulder pads and helmet on? So uh yeah, cool opportunity, like you said, like with the corner thing, um, a lot of different position flex things. But I just think I think all these guys have gotten better. I think they're all more confident in in who they are. They put in a lot of good work. I mean, twelve to fifteen months is a long time. That's a lot of hard a lot of hard work put in over you know, that stretch of time, um, you can really change your body. You can change your, you can change as an athlete. Um, so again, I think our, our game can serve as a, as a great, uh, platform for that.
1: I, just the thought of two weeks down there, uh, obviously those guys are going to be training for it. I would feel like I'm going to have to train like, not just like the late nights, but, uh, barbecue and seafood every day for two weeks. I gotta get myself ready, uh, for that, for that kind of event. Um, all right. So, As we enter the season, we just had our first full, you know, "quote unquote" full slate of college games this week. Who is a name or two that you feel just aren't getting love going into the season um, that they deserve at this part of the process? Uh, You know, Fran, I can.
2: I'm staring at the board right now, and you can basically work across at every (laughs) position. There's a handful of names that stick out that that you're not seeing. You're not seeing a lot of. Um, You know, you look at. the running back spot, B.J. Emmons from FAU is a guy that, that sticks out to me. Trey Sermon at Ohio State is a guy you don't see a lot about who I think is, is really talented. Um, you know, Levi Onswerki at Washington, the defensive tackle. I've not seen a lot out there on, on Levi. And when you put on the tape, you know, you see how disruptive he is. He's a guy that just jumps out. Uh, maybe doesn't show up in stats on paper, but, man, he's, he's a disruptive, disruptive player. And then, uh, you know, working all the way across the corner, there's a guy at, at Illinois, Nate Hobbs, who we like a lot, you know, is a, is a really impressive guy. And I haven't seen anything really on Nate Hobbs. So, uh, But, yeah, you could. there's three or four guys in every position group that, uh, you know, is excited to see. And, unfortunately, some of these guys aren't playing, like Levi and, and, and Nate. So they're um, – you know, it, again, everyone wants to talk about, like, the, the top, top guys, but as you and I know – um, in the NFL, like what makes the meat of a, a roster are those, you know, third, fourth, fifth round picks. Um, and so some of these guys that, that aren't being talked about will end up, you know, making making the bulk of,
1: of a roster these next couple of years. No question. And I'm so glad you brought up Levi uh, Onzerike just because you know watching him like. Just so disruptive, so impressive getting off the ball. He lines up up and down the line of scrimmage. They use him a lot of different ways. Um, the way he was able to attack offenses, I thought it was just really, really impressive. Really reminded me of a guy who stood out uh, down there in Mobile a few years ago, and it was Grady Jarrett. They're built a little bit differently, but uh, just his play temperament and that personality uh, just screams off the film. Uh, Onsarika is a really fun player. Um, I, w- I want to get to the quarterback position, Jim, because uh, this senior quarterback class, especially uh, you know coming into this year, like I feel like there isn't that guy that people are like latching to, which is okay because you know I've said this in the past, but like the last three number one picks, no one was really talking about in that vein coming into the year. Uh, two guys that I talked about coming into the fall that I feel like have that ability to make that next step, maybe not number one overall pick, but just take that next step in the next echelon are Sam Ellinger from Texas, Kyle Trask from Florida. I'm interested to get your take on both those guys. Both are seniors. How do you compare and contrast those two guys together?
2: Yeah, I'll say this, friend. We're we're you know the, the nice thing about this quarterback group this year is most of the guys uh, that we have high up on the board are are uh, you know they're playing football this fall, which is yeah. going to be great. We'll have another chance to evaluate these guys. You know what sticks out about Kyle? He's a guy. He's and I put something on Twitter earlier in the spring about this. He's sitting at the same spot on the board that Joe Burrow was last year. Same exact spot. Not that, again, I, I don't think there is going to be another Joe Burrow this year or for another yep. 25 years probably. But um, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime once move that Joe made last year. But, but Kyle's really interesting because, you know, the lack of experience coming into last year. And uh, I think it's most, most people that are avid draft fans um, know that, that Kyle was the guy that hadn't started a game, I believe, since his 10th grade year of high school. Um, you know, sat behind De'Eric King, who's the starter at Miami this year. But so for a guy that hadn't played so much, usually things move, happen really fast for him. And, and I had a chance to see Kyle play live at LSU last year, and, and that's, a, that's a fierce environment. Um, it was a fierce defense. And to see how he handled that um, that night in Baton Rouge was uh, – they didn't, they didn't come away with a win, but they kept it really close. And, and to see the composure that Kyle played with, um, really, really impressive. Those are things you can't coach. You can coach up a lot of things. I, I don't think you can put that in a guy um, that that has that mental toughness and the and the poise and the calm uh, to play on big stages. And you, you look at like you know the Auburn game. I mean, this he, guy played against a lot of good defenses on some big stages and handled himself really well. So excited to see to see what Kyle does in year two. Um, you know, making that big jump and then. Ellinger's you know Sam's a little different cuz he has played so much. They're opposite in that sense is that Sam's played a ton of football at Texas. Um but you know again thing that sticks out about Sam is he's he's just got that competitiveness, that toughness, he's a good athlete. Um you know he's he's played a ton so he might not make that jump that Kyle might but uh, just a guy that you, you look back at this year's draft, you can't put enough stock, in my opinion, in the intangibles part of a quarterback. And, and uh, you know, just Sam, Sam seems to have that leadership. He seems like a guy that those guys play for. Um, so really interesting to see, you know, if Sam can, from a skill set standpoint, take that next step as well.
1: You talk to people that have been in that building, that are in that building, have gone through there, and it's like Sam Ellinger, everything you want off the field. All the guys, you know, just kind of are attracted uh, to that kind of leader. Um, Jim, I want to ask you next about Alabama offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood. Um, you guys listed him in your, in the recent uh, top 250, the Senior Bowl 250, as a guard center. Now, he was a left tackle last year, was a right guard the year before, so he's got the experience on the inside. I would, I would love to get just your, your individual al- uh, evaluation on Alex Leatherwood but then also what are some of the factors that come into play when you're looking at a college tackle that doesn't have that experience that Alex does and say, yeah, he can play tackle, but I really like him as a guard or a center. What are some of those factors that would lead to that kind of projection in the evaluation?
2: Yeah, we, we definitely see Alex more as a guard. I mean, I, the center thing, we just, we, we wanted to make the um, differentiation in the list between interior guy and and, and tackle. So, um, you know, like you said, Alex has done both. We see him we see him as, as more of a guard tackle. He has all he has all the tools. I mean, he is a big man. he can bend, he's he's light on his feet. Um, he's got length. I think the biggest thing, I think Alex made a good decision coming back. I think where he can take the next jump is just getting more done with his hands um, and fitting blocks. like all the tools are there. Um, but when you look at the actual play in and play out block production, um probably doesn't match those tools right now when you watch the 19 tape. And I, I think a lot of it is because, you know, just his ability to, to latch and fit and sustain blocks. Um so you know, you look back at Alabama tackles to me, uh, you know, Cam Robinson was a really talented guy, had some inconsistency. Uh, I do think that uh Alex Leatherwood is a lot more talented than Cyrus Quanjo when he was coming out to compare those two guys. Uh but again, he's played both positions, he's got all the physical tools, but um, from a production standpoint, I really feel like he was smart to come back because if he can, if he can lock on and, and sustain and, and, and do those things better at a higher rate this year, then, then that's where he's going to take that next step from maybe being a day-two guy into, into a first-round guy. Um, and then the projection thing, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, like college, college uh, tackles that, that maybe don't have the length to play out there in the edge. Uh, Joe Tooney is a guy that that comes to mind. He was, he was one of my favorite guys when he's coming out of NC state has become a really good inside player for the Patriots, you know, was a left tackle his whole career at at NC state. Um, but you knew, I think Joe had 31 and something arms. And and again, I think length does matter out there. It's not the end all be all. If you have really good feet and feel, I think you can make up for, for maybe not having the longest arms, but, but, uh, you know, Joe was, I thought Joe was a guy that could play guard or center um because he, he was you know his mobility was off the charts and again the feel the eyes the awareness um talking about a guy that got a lot done with his hands like when joe got his hands on you it was over um and that's that's where leatherwood's got to take that next step so i think those are the things you're, you're kind of looking for why you would move a guy inside um uh, would, would be
1: would be the length factor So you mentioned with Leatherwood, he's just got all those physical tools. And one guy that I think you could say a lot of the same things about uh, playing a different position, obviously, is Chaz Surratt from uh, North Carolina, uh, starting linebacker. Just a quick refresher for the listeners. We talked about him on our ACC preview a few weeks ago. 6'3", 230 pounds, was a quarterback all through up his career and then became a linebacker last year. I really liked his film. I I know that you've talked about him on Twitter as well. You've really liked what you've seen from him. I'd like to get your thoughts on Chaz, but then also – how does the mindset change when you're evaluating a player in the summer going into his final year that had just made that position switch, as opposed to if he had just come out and that was the only film we had was just this one year. And you see some of the areas where he's just a little bit slow mentally, but you're like, man, like all the tools are there. How does that, that evaluation change knowing you've got another full season ahead of you? Yeah, I think
2: uh, and back to the Kyle Trask thing, I think regardless of position, the more you play, um, the game does slow down, regardless of position. That's the great thing. Where, we're going to be able to see that with Chaz this year. Like you said, all the physical tools, great athlete. Um, the other thing that helps you buy into him, he's not just an athlete running around trying to out-athlete people. Um, he brings a level of physicality that you wouldn't expect from a former quarterback. I mean, if you didn't know that about – if you watched the 2019 – North Carolina, you know, defensive tape. And you didn't know Chester went there as a quarterback. You wouldn't guess that um, by his play style. He runs, he hits. Um, you know, there's no hesitation, you know, pulling the trigger on plays. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be an experience thing. you got to think um, another year on the defensive side of the ball, um, he's going to make a big jump. You know, and he's, he's the, exactly the kind of linebacker teams are looking for now. Three-down athlete, um, really matches up well in space, can cover, can blitz. Uh, just a really versatile guy. So uh, again, just really, really thankful. North Carolina is going to be playing football, so we can we can see more of Chaz this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, his ability to go back and be able to play that year, you know, knowing that he's got a second year at linebacker. It's interesting to kind of juxtapose that with. His brother, Sage, who has played a wide receiver at Wake Forest all throughout his career, he declared for the draft, opted out of 2020. Chaz, I think, making the right move. Hey, like, let me put another year's worth of linebacker uh, film on tape uh, for teams to uh, be able to evaluate. Last guy I want to ask you about, Jim. Uh, Elijah Molden from Washington and played corner, mostly in the nickel. I mean, that's where we see him uh, you know, watching last year. I'd love to ask you just, obviously, the evaluation on Elijah Molden, how you view him, but how different he would have been evaluated in the the last two buildings you've been in with new England and Seattle. Um, you know, and then also, I guess I'll back off of that. How different is it for you now in your current role where, you know, you're kind of projecting for the whole league and trying to figure out, okay, here are the players I want to bring down to mobile and not just saying, all right, here's our scheme. Here's how he fits. How does that part of the process change for you as well?
2: Yeah, Fran, I think I'll handle that last part of the question first. Um, It is a little easier in this role because we are scouting for the whole league. That was kind of the heartbreaker when you're a scout when you see a player that you really like and you know he doesn't fit you. (laughs) You you grade him accordingly. You kind of got to wave goodbye to him because you know he doesn't fit. So that's that's the easier part down here with our game where we're grading for the whole league. Um, Elijah's really a fun player to watch, and I've said it a million times, but that's the biggest. That's the biggest compliment I can pay a player. I mean, he's one of those guys that you get through three or four games and you just want to keep watching because he does every game you put on. You know, just the energy level he plays with. Um, the, you know, the, he's such a fun athlete to watch. He's just he's a little playmaker. Um, not the biggest guy in the world, but, but really talented. Um, just He has that ball hawking nature to play in the slot. Uh, I think he can play free safety because he's really instinctive and he's tough and aggressive. He plays bigger than his size. And again, the league's kind of moving to that that kind of safety. You look around the league, the you know the Buda Bakers and the Mike Edwards from Kentucky, who we had the game a couple years ago for the Buccaneers. I mean, there's 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 more of a more of a shift to that to that kind of player, that that undersized nickel free safety. Um, and Elijah fits that. So uh, really fun player to watch. Again, I just love those feisty guys, and, and Elijah's all over people on tape, both in coverage. Uh, you know and in run support and and the last part of the question when you talked about the two places I worked spent a lot of time New England and Seattle yeah completely completely different skill sets you know uh, Elijah wouldn't have been um, a guy typically for Seattle I think over the last couple years they've they've come off their size standards a little bit at the position Um, you know Justin Coleman we had Justin Coleman in Seattle a couple years ago was more of an undersized nickel guy and played at such a high level for him I think I think Justin was a guy that that had them reconsider, you know, what could, what could work in the slot up in Seattle. And, and, and then, you know, he goes on to Detroit and signed a big contract and, and New England and Molden would be a great fit because they play so much coverage and zone that, that uh, you're looking for smaller reactive athletes that can match, match and mirror routes. And Elijah's that guy. So yeah, just two, two different ways of looking at corners and they, they both work. And that's why as a scout, you always have to be, uh, you know, you always have to be mindful of, of who you're scouting for and, and scheme fit.
1: And I guess that's for our listeners at home that, that love watching college players. I guess that's like the, the lesson, right? Is that, you know, it not, it's not one size fits all, having an understanding of, uh, you know, what plays in the league, but you know, also how all 32 teams are going to operate a little bit differently from each other. Jim, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate you.
0: Now it's time for pick six.
1: All right. Well, time to welcome back a guy that's been on this show multiple times, Ross Tucker. You can follow on Twitter
0: at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, welcome back to the Journey of the Draft podcast, man. And happy to have you back on. Happy to be back on, Fran. And happy football season, man. I oh, yeah, mean, absolutely. number one, we got the Eagles on Sunday. Number two, I was actually at a college game at the stadium watching a college football game and calling it. It was. And honestly, with and I know we'll get into it, but with uh, Army being allowed to have the cadets there, it was a cool atmosphere. It was kind of fun to see 55 hands all in the same uniform, mm-hmm. socially distanced and, and going crazy. It was uh, it was awesome. It really was. Dude, can I just say, like, in my previous job,
1: working at Temple, like all the places I traveled, which you know at that time the like, Temple was in the MAC, but I we played like out of conference opponents every year, Mikey Stadium is my favorite game place. And I, I've been to Beaver Stadium a bunch of times. Like, you know, we've been down to Clemson. We went to, you know, some some big – I love the environment at Mikey Stadium. It's the weather, the fall. You're on the Hudson River. It's, like, it's beautiful. Uh, you have the cadets there, so you have that atmosphere.
0: It's That's a fun place to watch a football game, man. It's amazing. It, it's my fa- – like, from my booth, my view, it's the best view of any football game I've ever been to, it's just spectacular.
1: It helps that it's like a mile high. I feel like that press box is like so high compared to like other places. But dude, that that place is is awesome. So really excited that you were able to uh, to get up there. So uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this is going to be like a, a fun competition for us each and every week. Fan, you know, fans, longtime listeners of the show, know we do our pick six segment, and we're typically just picking six players to talk about here in season. We're going to use pick six to talk about six different games and just kind of like talk about some fun scenarios and have a little bit of a game with it. Uh, We'll pick different themes for each game and, uh, and kind of go from there. We'll keep score against each other each and every week. And, you know, we'll see who wins at the end of the season. Now uh, the first one, you mentioned you did the army middle Tennessee, uh, middle Tennessee state game this past weekend, army, the black Knights roasted MTSU. It was 42, nothing. They ran for like 1900 yards in the game. Um, Now, Army hosts U- UL Monroe this week in a game that you'll be once again calling uh, for CBS. Army ran the ball 62 times on five and a half yards per carry last week uh, against Middle Tennessee. My question is, do they run the ball at least 55 times? So going with the, uh, the 5.5 yards of carry, I went with uh, 55 times. Do they run the ball at least 55 times versus ULM on Saturday? I'll let you uh, get the first crack at it.
0: Ooh, this is tough. I'll tell you why. Number one, ULM has a really good running back um, in Josh Johnson. So they've got a good running back. So they might be able to actually maintain possession more than middle Tennessee state was able to, which eats into it a little bit. Number one, then number two, ULM is horrific run defense. Like they were, 127th in the country, I believe, last year. I mean, really bad. Worse in the Sun Belt run defense. So you'd think, yeah, that means they're going to run it a lot. Well, not if they're getting big chunks of yardage. Then they're not getting as many carries in because they're getting big chunks of yardage. That's, that's a perfect number for this fun game. Um, I am going to say, no. I'm going to say they don't run it 55 times. I'm going to say it's more like, uh, 45 to 53 range. All right, so I'm actually going to say yes. And here's what – you
1: mentioned the ULM uh, run defense. Dude, we talked about uh, Tyrell Robinson earlier this week. Ben Fennel brought him up early in the show. You obviously got to see him up close. I just have a feeling Tyrell Robinson is going to be running all over this team. He is just so dynamic in the open field. I watched a, a chunk of that game on, on Saturday. I didn't watch the whole game. Um, obviously, you did a great job on the broadcast from the parts that I watched. He just looks so dynamic. I'm, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to, I figure, look, it's the first question of the year. We'll go, we'll go a little bit different. Make sure that we don't have a tie uh, when, it's, uh, when it's all said and done here uh, on the end of the first question. Um, all right, so next one. We're going to do with North Carolina, Syracuse. We've talked about during our ACC preview a few weeks ago with uh, myself and Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, we talked about this UNC receiving core. Uh, Daz Newsome, mostly slot receiver, uh, re- really fun player. I really like Daz Newsome. I think he projects well to the NFL. And then they've got a high upside guy on the outside, Diami Brown. Um, he was a big play guy for them last year. He caught 50 passes, over a thousand yards, 12 touchdowns. Daz Newsome, more in the uh, possession type of player, 72 catches, over a thousand yards, also 10 touchdowns. So looking at Daz Newsome and Diami Brown, I need to know who has more receiving yards in this game against the Syracuse secondary that while they have some big play potential, Andre Sisco, those guys on the back end, they also will give up some plays as well. Who has more yards in this game, Daz or Diami Brown?
0: So I'm going to go Daz, and I'm going to go Daz because I believe that Syracuse is going to try to get to Sam Howell early and often. I just don't believe that they're going to sit back and let him pick him apart with Newsom and Brown. So I think you're going to see a lot of pressure. It's first game for both teams. Try to bring some exotic stuff, confuse UNC's offensive line. What that means to me is how getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And that means a bunch of catches for Daz Newsom. He's the hot receiver, a bunch throwing the quick stuff to him. I think he ends up getting more yards than Brown. So I'm going to go a little boring here. I'm also going to pick
1: uh, Daz Newsom, And to me, the big thing here is that uh, Andre Sisco, who I don't know if you guys have talked about him. Over, by the way, everybody that listens to this show. You should be subscribed to the College Draft Podcast with Ross Tucker. Emery Hunt, uh, the new host this year. Emory does an outstanding job. Um, Andre Cisco, post-safety for Syracuse. Dude, this guy is a lightning rod for the football. Um, he's had double-digit uh, pass breakups over the course of both years. He was a freshman All-American, first-team all ECC in 2018. This guy just racks up interceptions and pass breakups playing from the free safety spot. I feel like with him patrolling deep, those deep balls with Diami Brown may be few and far between. Um, you can move him off his spot a little bit, Cisco. I think uh, you know veteran quarterbacks might be able to get the best of him. I don't know that Howell's there yet mentally. So I'm thinking, hey, take the safety valve underneath. Use Daz Newsom over the middle of the field. I'm going to take Daz Newsom as well uh, in this matchup. All right, so uh, question number three, Texas versus UTEP. We talked a lot about Sam Ellinger. Just talked about him in the last segment with Jim Nagy. Sam Ellinger last year in out-of-conference games, he had four touchdowns versus Louisiana Tech, five total touchdowns versus LSU, three touchdowns versus Rice, and four touchdowns in the bowl game versus Utah. So I'm going to throw you a little over-under here, Ross. Four and a half total touchdowns for Sam Ellinger this Saturday
0: against UTEP. Going under. Going under because I think Texas will absolutely slaughter UTEP I don't think the game will be close. I don't think when they get down near the goal line, they're going to have Ellinger run. Mm. They don't want to get him hurt. I think he'll be pulled at some point in the second half. And if you noticed, the only time he had more than four and a half touchdowns was against LSU when they needed it throughout the game against some of the lesser opponents he did not. So I will take the under four and a half total touchdowns for Sam Ellinger Saturday.
1: That's a a very good observation by you, and the the four and a half is a little bit generous on my end. In that uh, I'm expecting a huge, huge game. I'm gonna take the over though, man. I feel like you know, look, it's the it's their home or their uh, their opening game. Uh, Ellinger has been sitting. He's been chomping at the bit. Um, You know, from everything I've heard, he's healthy. He's ready to roll for this year. Uh, I think he's one of the best playmakers in the Big 12, returning. I can't wait to see him in action. I'm going to take the over here uh, this week for Sam Ellinger on four and a half total touchdowns. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, ACC action, Duke versus Notre Dame. Both these teams return some of the best pass rush tandems in the country, certainly in the ACC conference. Uh, you know, you look at Duke, and they've got a couple pass rushers we talked about earlier with Ben, Notre Dame. They've got young guys that are coming up off the bench. A couple guys got drafted last year, but guys that scouts are really high on moving into this year. Total sacks in the game between both teams, over under seven and a half, Ross. I'm going to let you uh, take this one. Over under seven and a half total sacks from both teams combined. Not just the D-line, but both teams
0: combined. You know what? Man, on one part, Fran, I look at it and say, first game, O-lines, not used to going against edge rushers like this. I mean, I guess they are since they're, you know, they're teammates. But it's still just different, that atmosphere. But seven and a half sacks is a lot. I mean, that that's a lot of sacks in one game. You're doing a good job with these numbers, Fran. It's tough. Uh, I will ultimately say under. And I'll say under 7.5 because, you know, Ian Book is third year as a starter now. I just think he knows enough to not take that many sacks, to throw the ball away. He's a veteran now. So I'm doing this mainly on the strength of Ian Book getting rid of the ball. Yeah, I, I'm going where you initially said, where you talked about, look, it's,
1: you know, it's offensive line play. It's early. It's the first game for both teams against quality opponents. Um, you know, it's been obviously a unique offseason in terms of prep. I'm going to bet on some sloppy play. And even though, like, especially like Notre Dame, they've got some upperclassmen coming back along the offensive line. I like that matchup for Duke's D-line um, against Ian Book and, and that front. I'm going to take the over here, and I don't know who's going to get all, a bunch of sacks. I'll tell you, you know, Chris Rumpf uh, is a guy we talked about a little bit earlier. I feel like he's a guy that uh, could get home for a couple in this game. I'm, I'm going to take the over here, uh, over seven and a half sacks for the game. Um, all right, Florida State, Georgia Tech. This one's an easy one. Straight up, who wins this game? Uh, who, you know, it's a, an ACC battle. Uh, both teams a little bit disappointing last year. Uh, Florida State has a new coaching staff with Mike Norvell. Georgia Tech, they've got the second year with Jeff Collins. Who wins this game?
0: I'm going Florida State. Uh, I believe that they have the talent, uh, even though obviously they have a new coaching staff. They did do some good things recruiting. you know they've got some studs still when you look at them, Marvin Wilson and others, and I think Norvell is a much better coach than his predecessor, and I think there's some value to you know first time head coach doing some things differently, not first time head coach but first year in Florida State. I'll take the Seminoles. Also, I'm pretty confident you're going to say Georgia Tech, which is the other reason why I'm taking the Seminoles. Well, you think you know me,
1: but you don't know me that well, Ross, because I am going to take Florida State in this one, and I will go on the same side as you. And I just feel like uh, even though it's been, I would say, a little bit of a rocky offseason for, uh, for Norvell, you know, they've had some you know, things that they've had to work out with, like, you know, reports in the media and all, and all kinds of stuff uh, over the course of the last few months. I just feel like that scheme with those playmakers in space against Georgia Tech, um, even though it's year two for Jeff Collins, uh, I still like the Seminoles uh, here in this matchup. Um, a few players for Florida State just keep an eye on. Uh, certainly Marvin Wilson. Uh, Josh Kando is a guy that I know Dane Brugler, our friend, is, is really, really high on. He's talked about him here on the show. No Hams and Nazardine this week, unfortunately, uh, but Marvin Wilson, certainly uh, a name to watch, wrecking the inside of that Ramblin' Wreck uh, offensive line. Uh, Marvin Wilson is a guy that I will certainly have my eye on in this matchup. Last one here, Ross. Sixth game, Clemson-Wake Forest. College game day is going to be down there at Wake, first time ever. Uh, Obviously, Clemson coming in as the number one team. Travis Etienne, star running back, senior, coming into his final season. Over under 130 and a half yards. He did that three times last year. Came up nine yards short when these two teams faced off late in November, which was a blowout win for Clemson. How do you feel this will go? Over under 130 and a half yards. 4-1 4-1 Travis Etienne.
0: Wow, it's interesting because Wake Forest lost Jamie Newman, who transferred and then opted to go pro. Sage Surratt, their outstanding wide receiver, has opted out of this season. But they still have Boogie Basham on the D-line. Yep. I, I, I guess I think Clemson, because of what I said about Surratt and Jamie Newman, is probably a, significantly amount, a significant betterly, better than Wake Forest this year. And so I think sort of the same philosophy I had with Ellinger. I'm gonna say ETN doesn't get there because he doesn't have to. I'm gonna say he doesn't get there. And I think one of the, the things that you know is interesting
1: is Clemson, they only return one starter on the offensive line this year. You know, if they had four guys graduate, Jackson Carmen is the only returning starter at left tackle. Um, you know, they lose a bunch of the guys on the outside. No T. Higgins, obviously, he's gone. Uh Justin Ross injured. What is ETN? Now, you, would, you might look at that and say, oh, well, that means more, more opportunity for Travis ETN. But against that Wake Forest defensive line you mentioned, um, they've got some upperclassmen in that front seven as well uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to say the under here uh, with Travis ETN on 130 and a half yards. But we'll find out, man. Well, uh, one week from today, we'll get back. We'll see uh, who won the majority of these picks. We'll have six more next week. We're all excited to, uh, to have fun with this uh, as the season goes on, man.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's fun. It's fun to uh, watch these games now and be able to text you and say, oh man, I was right. You were on. <laughs> have to. I didn't write down what you thought. I think I remember all of them, but we got to make sure we have some type of uh, fun way to track each other and see who has more, more winning pick sixes. My, uh, my people will call your people. We'll let you know. <laughs> all right, man. Sounds good.
1: Three segments. Hope you guys really enjoyed uh, everything we did on this second episode of the week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Great stuff from Ben Fennel, Jim Nagy, Ross Tucker. Uh, two of those three guys will be back here next week. Uh, ben and Ross, obviously, uh, you can expect on a weekly basis here on the show. Just a quick reminder. Again, we are here twice a week on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We are also going to be twice a week over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, uh, which you can find every Tuesday and Thursday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, ben Fennell is going to be joining me every single week over on that platform, so make sure you subscribe wherever you can find your podcast. Uh, Dave Spadaro with the Eagles Insider Podcast. Monday, when, or I should say post-game, so after games on Sunday night, and then Wednesday and Friday episodes over on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Make sure you go subscribe. And then also the Eagles Update Podcast. So just short little news updates every day, Monday through Saturday, so make sure you go f- subscribe to that podcast as well. Uh, we've got a ton of information coming to you. Hope you guys are as excited for the start of the NFL season as I am. By the time you're listening to this, Game 1, the Thursday Night Football, uh, Kansas City Chiefs against the Houston Texans is either being played right now or has finished, so hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed the NFL opener. So, so excited for football to be here. We've got some great college action this Saturday. We'll be back next Monday, myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we are going to be breaking it down right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.